Welcome everyone to our last uh, GES seminar of the uh, semester. Uh, this is the last one that's going to be open to the public. Our next two colloquiums will actually be uh, from with Ag Biofuel students and only NC State uh, students and faculty. So uh, welcome everyone. Uh, today uh, we have a great speaker, Tenku Ruff, and I, I'm actually going to ask uh, Nora Han to introduce her and we have our own Nora Han, Professor of Anthropology and International Studies, also Director of the Graduate Programs and Affiliate Faculty with the GES Center here with us today. And we're very grateful to Nora to recommend Tenku Ruff to attend and participate um, at this seminar. And please everyone, if you can just leave any questions or comments in the chat box and we'll have time at the end of our session to also ask, raise the hand function and ask questions to Tenku as well. So. Um, thank you, Tenku, and thank you, Nora. Thanks, Dawn, and thanks everybody for coming. I know these last couple of weeks of the semester, things can really pile up, so I appreciate the time you're taking out of your schedule today. So the idea of inviting Tenku Ruff uh, actually came, uh, I was inspired by our neighbors over at the Southeast Climate Adaptation Science Center on campus. So those folks have been engaging community groups and faith organization in the last few years around questions of climate change. And um, they're kind of have an open door in that sense that a lot of community groups and faith organizations have dedicated offices now thinking about climate change. And we don't have such obvious counterparts when it comes to thinking about the genetic engineering of uh, plants and pest species. So I was thinking, how can we uh, engage faith communities? How can we have a broader discussion on ethics, which I know we all care about, um, and make it relevant to GES? So what I thought would be uh, inviting Tenkuda to talk about this framework of the right use of power because it's a framework that I think could be applied to multiple settings. And so that may be one way for us to engage um, other groups outside the world of GES who seem relevant is to kind of think about context um, that we could adapt to our conversation about GES. So to introduce uh, Tenku, uh, Tenku's a Soto Zen priest and past president of the Soto Zen Buddhist Association. She trained for five years in Japan in Zen monasteries uh, with additional training in the United States. She completed her undergraduate down the road from us at Davidson College, and she holds a master's in divinity from Maitripa College in Portland. Tenku is a board certified chaplain with the Association of Professional Chaplains, and she works as a hospice and palliative care chaplain. She's been doing that throughout the pandemic. So uh, she has been located in hospitals, in a hospital throughout the pandemic and kind of been on the front lines in that regard. She has a longstanding interest in interfaith dialogue, equity, and social inclusion. And this is what led her to seek out the right use of power framework. Um, and uh, I would say that anybody can really be trained in this framework. She's going to only be able to present part of it today, given our time constraints. Uh, and so with that, I'll hand things over to Tenko. Thank you so much, Nora. And thank you all for being here. So today I'd like to introduce a little bit about the right use of power training. It's a training that I learned from um, Cedar Barstow, who's a um, in Boulder, Colorado and founded the Right Use of Power Institute. And it's something I became interested in from a couple of different points of view. One is as I started to come into more power myself, I became concerned that I don't wanna misuse power. You know, we've all experienced abuses or misuses of power in our life. And so I had this very, um, strong desire not to repeat that. Um, and then on the other side, uh, in my training as a chaplain, I got very interested in medical ethics and currently sit on the ethics board at my hospital. So, um, so what exactly are ethics and how does that relate to how we use power in our everyday lives? I'm just gonna close the blind because I see a glare on my glasses, okay. Um, so, again, this training was developed by Cedar Barstow. Um, it usually has a big experiential component to it, but because of today's time constraints, we'll, we'll do very limited amounts of that. 
Um, and it helps us to explore um, both our own relationship to power and how we use power in the world. So um, right use of power is, is one of the most crucial needs of our time, both personally and in our roles, our jobs, and institutionally. And it's also one of the greatest challenges that we face in leadership and in personal development. We, all of us, we have capacity for wisdom, for skillfulness, and for service and how we use our power. But, you know, like I just mentioned, we've all experienced misuses or abuses of power, and that can make us feel shy from actually using the power that we have in a beneficial way. So I'm hoping that we can um, talk a bit about what power is and how we use it and come to a, a more wide understanding of how we can use what we have for the benefit of, of others and for the benefit of our society. And so in this sense, the, the way we use power and the right use of power is really at the heart of ethics, right at the center. So, you know, as you all know, we often um, think of ethics as right and wrong. But I'd, I'd like to expand that just a little bit from the study of right and wrong, or, or sometimes we think of it as duty or moral obligation. But here, I like to think of ethics as a set of values, attitudes, and skills that are intended to have a benevolent effect in the world around us when we apply them through um, professional guidelines, professional decision-making, and just, you know, heart, practice of compassion. So today I'm going to talk about um, the understanding a little bit more about the complex dimensions and dynamics of how power works and the power differential. I'm going to introduce three kinds of power. I'll talk a little bit about how we can be more intentional and how we use power. And, um, and then the difference between our intentions and the impact that we have. And then finally, um, over and under uses of power. So, you know, I might not get to everything. <laughs> this is a, a, a lot to pack in, but I'll, we'll see how far we get. And then I hope we'll have a, a fruitful discussion afterwards. So as you have questions, um, just, you know, keep them, hold them, but um, we'll engage with them at the, after the presentation. So again, power is our capacity to have an influence, to affect a change, and to transform situations. And once more, I'd like to encourage you to think of this both in terms of our personal power and the way we use it and the way that we use it in a much broader sense. Okay, so um, I have a few definitions for you. So I'm gonna share my screen so you can see that. It's hard to press play when you are, you have all that mess at the top of your screen. There we go. Okay. So I already mentioned this piece and, and I'm happy to share a PDF of this presentation at the end if, for anyone who wants it. So I just talked a little bit about ethics um, and shifting from just the black and white version of ethics as right and wrong to a more expansive definition of ethics of how we want to be in the world and how we, what kind of effect we want to have in the world. Um, and this gets into power. So power is really simply our ability to have an effect or an influence. And it's also what lets us do stuff. So we need some power, you know, we can't become averse to, to the whole idea of power because we need it in order to accomplish our goals in, in the world. Whether our goals are, are just simply um, driving the car to the supermarket or changing the entire world, we have to have some power to be able to do that. So it's not necessarily a bad thing and it's not necessarily um, something we want to um, become 
really grabby towards, but it is something we can use. So influence is how we interact with others to make changes and to have an effect. And, um, and then the right use of power, as I mentioned, is the power to prevent, to reduce or to repair harm is basically how we are in relationship with, with each other and with the world around us. So let's move on a little bit. I wanted to start today, um, before I share this um, wordy screen, I, I wanna start with just introducing three kinds of power. So we have three basic kinds of power and you know we can expand, we can, I'm sure we could come up with 20 kinds, but for the purposes of this presentation, I'm gonna talk about three. First is our personal power. And our personal power is our birthright. It's what we're born with. You know, as you all know, we each, we're all unique. We each have unique skills and characteristics. Some of us are better at some things than others. Um, some of us are, are born as natural communicators. And this is part of our personal power. Some of us are born with the ability to, to do very complex thinking, you know, even from an early age to be very analytical. And that's different from somebody who's born with just a sense of expansive creativity. So we each have our personal power. That's what we come into the world with. And nobody can take that away from us. It's just what we have to work with. And as you already can see, we each have different things that we bring to the table. So the next kind of power is role power. And role power is something that we earn. You know, we do some kind of a training or we go to school or we um, take on a new set of skills and we earn that role. So think about the kinds of um, role power that you might have. So um, one example would be to be a teacher. One example might be to be a parent. You know, this, you did something to get into this role. It wasn't an automatic thing. And the third kind of power is status power. And status power is a societally conferred kind of power that's not necessarily earned. So it's something that gives us more power in our society. It, it could change from society to society. And it's, we didn't really do anything to earn this. So it could be another way of saying privilege, but staying, saying status power is, it really um, shows us how it relates to the society in which we're currently living. So examples of status power, um, one obvious one is, is whiteness. That's very up for us, especially this week. Um, being male, we tend to have more status. Um, some that we don't think about as much is how about height? Um, we know that there's a greater likelihood for a tall man to be elected president than a shorter man. So did a man do anything whatsoever to earn that gift of height? No, we are just born that way. <laughs> so that status power, it is a power and we have to use it well, but we didn't do anything to earn it. And some of the difficulties in our life come in when we kind of mix these up. You know, we start to conflate role power with status power. So if we see height as a privilege that we've earned, well, I must have eaten all my carrots when I was a child, you know, then, then that's, um, that, that muddies the waters in terms of how we actually use power. And again, we want to cause benefit and not to cause harm. So I'm going to skip ahead to that screen now. But I think before I do that, I just want to, um, let's do a brief exercise at least today. So, um, we we're all in chairs. So rather than stand up, I'm just going to ask you to make a motion. So how many people here are professors? How many people here are students? How many people here have ever been students in your lifetime? <laughs> how many people here our parents? And how many people have ever been a child to a parent? 
So you can see that the way we are in relation to power is constantly changing depending on the situation. So let me skip ahead to my wordy slide. I think I've, um, I think I've talked about this enough that I'm not gonna spend too much time on it. Um, but again, I'm happy to share it with you later. I just want you to get the, for those of us who learn through words um, to get the visual. Um, there's personal power, role power, and status power. So you can see I have a list of role powers down here. Um, a doctor, teacher, employer, clergy, a chairperson, um, a parent, director, a police officer. So something we've done that we've earned a kind of power. So let me just continue on a little bit. And this is really a crucial place. Um, in every situation where we're in relationship, there's always a, a, some kind of play going on, you know, between the, the amount of power that we have. And this can be really complex. Again, we all have our personal power. And that's not something that someone can take away from us. You know, I, I think sometimes we can be tempted to give that personal power away, but that's more in an abuse situation. So just as a general rule, say that our personal power is our birthright and we own it. Um, and yet in different situations in life, we can be in different, um, have different amounts of power. So um, the way that Dr. Barstow introduces this, and I'll say this is true for all of the right use of power training, it's deceptively simple. You know, it's so well thought out that she doesn't use complex language. She makes everything really easy to understand as if we had thought of it ourselves until we realize that we didn't, you know? <laughs> so um, this is something she's very, um, well steeped in and has spent a lot of many years developing. So I say that because look at this, very simple, up power, down power. So where are we in this? Let me just back off before we read too much. So up power, parent, child, teacher, student, um, clergy, congregant. One person in a relationship usually has more power than the other. And recognizing that and, re and using that beneficially is part of how we learn to use power in a way that helps. So let me go back to this. So we each have responsibilities. If we're in the up power position, then we are in service to others. You know, sometimes we forget this. <laughs> so I'm gonna say it again. If we are in the up power position, we are in service to others. And we must remember that. When I was, um, when I was in chaplaincy training, one of the supervisors was an, a Catholic nun. And she told one of the young, newly ordained um, Catholic priests who's just, he's very green, just out of seminary. She said, you know, it was an ordination, not a coronation. <laughs> so I often touch base on that. Um, ordination is uh, an invitation to serve others. And coronation is an invitation to rule. <laughs> so um, when we're in the up power position, we serve. So up power has obviously increased power and influence. And um, people in the down power position can um, are more dependent. So I, I won't I won't just read all of these, but um, scanning ahead, it's the responsibility of the person in the up power position to maintain appropriate boundaries. You cannot have a sexual relationship with your congregant if you are a clergy, full stop. Boundary is my responsibility if I'm clergy, if I'm a teacher, boundary is up to me. It doesn't mean that the down power person gets a pass, but the up power person holds a responsibility. 
So also in that relationship, it can't be all about the power person's needs and expecting others to, to run around and fulfill your every need. That's more of the coronation model. So having a, a, you know, a vast array of servants to fulfill your every desire uh, might feel good, but it's not a responsible use of power. Um, the person in the down power position is, is more vulnerable. So we have to take care. You know, think of students. You know, students don't have a lot of power, so they could be more easily harmed. So if we're their, their teachers, then we have to really take an extra layer of care in how we treat people. Um, and then I'll just also finally mention idealization and devaluing. Um, if we're in the up power position, it's easier for somebody to idealize us. And um, we're more susceptible to doing that when we're in the down power position. So that's just an overview. Um, and that's a tee up for, um, for uh, the next slide. So I'm gonna pause just for a second. So I want us to, um, I'll go back to this neutral side. I want us just to take a minute following that to just for yourself, just for a second, um, just close your eyes for a minute. And I'm gonna say a couple of phrases and see how you feel about it, you know, in your body, see what's going on. So try it out. First of all, I'm gonna say the first thing. So just close your eyes and it's okay to have power. What do you notice when you hear that? It's okay to have power. Does what you notice have a location in your body? Does it have any stories attached to it? Does it have any um, feeling or temperature? One more time. It's okay to have power. Then I'm gonna try another one. I want to use my power wisely. So again, where is that in your body? Where does that land? I want to use my power wisely. Does it have a location? Is there a story attached to it? I want to use my power wisely. Okay, so I just wanted us to do that to, um, to stress that learning to use power well, we have to become very self-aware. And how we responded in those to those words are good clues for us. And usually this is, um, I said, this is this format, it's a little harder, but I'll open for responses to those questions um, as soon as the speaking part of this is done. So just note how you felt and maybe did any, if anything surprised you, especially, I would love to hear that and you can put it in the chat. Was there anything surprising? You know, was there extra attached? Was there a story or fear or a puffed upness, whatever? Um, how that gives us value, valuable information for how we are in relation to power. Okay, so let me move ahead. And that's important to know because um, when we accept the up power position, and again, we can be in an up power position by role or by status, role being earned power, status being unearned power, we get a bonus prize of an extra 100 and uh, extra 50%. So both um, up power and down power come to the table with 100%. But when we accept the role, 
And again, we did something to earn it. So I hope you'll accept it if you earned it. Then we get a bonus prize of another 50%. So this doesn't mean the down power person gets a pass and can just check out and go down to 50% or even 70% and want this person to do everything. We both start with 100% responsibility. But when we take the up power position, it's our job to maintain the relationship, to maintain the conditions for ethical living, to maintain um, appropriate boundaries. So down power, again, doesn't get a pass. They still have to show up and still have to be involved in resolving conflicts or, you know, if you're a student, you still have to come to class. But you don't have to, the extra responsibility because again, if you're in the up power position, your role is more weighted towards being responsible and caring for others. And if you're in the down power position, your role is more vulnerable. So again, by saying yes to increase power, we get this bonus of 150%. So think about how that works in your life. Um, let's see if I can find a neutral place. There we go. You know, if, you, um, if you're giving a lecture and you mess up and you drop about 12 F-bombs, then whose job is it to make repairs there? You know, first of all, I hope that doesn't happen too often. But second, you know, we all make mistakes. We're human. So we have to um, we have to understand that nobody's perfect. But then we have to take some responsibility. So if we make a mistake, we, we have to we have to own that. It's not the student's job to point out, hey, you know, you dropped a lot of you said a lot of curse words today, like a little too much, you know, one every now and then is fine. But oh my, no, it's not their job. It's up to us to track and to recognize that when we're in the up power position. That's that bonus of another 50 percent. If the relationship is off. And we're in the up power position. Then we need to notice and the person in the down power position can't always say out loud. So we really have to um, track and pay attention. Okay, so I wanna take questions now, but I'm like, I think I'll say reserve them and um, you could go ahead and put it in the chat if you have it. Okay. So again, just to reorient ourselves, the right use of power is the use of personal power and role power to prevent harm, to reduce harm, to repair harm. And we wanna um, promote well-being. Okay, so I think before I get into over and under use, I'm gonna talk about impact and intention. So I have about just a few more minutes. So I wanna make sure to say this. Um, we, I think, you know, most of us generally, we have good intentions. And sometimes our intentions don't fall in the way we want it. You know, like, you know, the more we try to say the right thing, the more the wrong thing can come out of our mouth. Um, so our intention is what we want to happen and our impact is what happens. <laughs> So, so what? This is just how life is. And beating ourselves up for when these don't match is just pulling ourselves out of what it is to be a human being in the world. So reverse stated, impact is the effect that your behavior has on others and intention is the effect you wanted it to have. So when this happens, as happens every single day, in some way, shape or form. The responsibility for repairing the harm falls to the person in the up power position because of that bonus prize of 50%. And so um, it doesn't mean the other person gets a total pass, but it's up to the up power person to initiate that. And so now think about this in terms of, um, of science. 
because I know we have scientists here. We have all the best intentions in our research. We have all the best intentions for how we want to benefit, um, you know, the way we grow food, the way we do medicine, the way we help others. Nevertheless, inevitably, things don't always go the way we want them to. So when that happens, what do we do? Do we deny it, move away, run away, leave it, you know, change professions? No, we just stay present, acknowledge it, make repair and keep going. So then as a final thing, I'm going to talk about um, over and under use of power. And this is really for me, this was really ground shaking. I think we know what overuse of power looks like, but I, I will say that, I'll state that. But underuse of power is also an abuse of power or a misuse of power. And you know, there's a continuum. Not every misuse of power is abuse. There's, there's gotta be a continuum there. So over and underuse of power both cause harm. Let me say it that way. Let's go back. So overuse, and this is in our role power. When we push our own ideas without considering the needs of the whole community, you know, i.e., when we're a little too invested in our in hearing ourselves, not to, and not in relationship with others, that's an overuse of power. Um, of course, financial misconduct is there. Sexual misconduct, um, and then getting outside of our areas of expertise. You know, I put, it's funny, I put this on here, lawyers teaching meditation, um, one of my personal pet peeves. <laughs> we, you know, we each have our, our areas and we can go outside of our areas with some comfort. But when we start to get into a role and identifying with a role that we have not earned, then that's when we get into a misuse of power. So if we're misrepresenting our role um, I see this a lot in the hospital. In fact, I actually interviewed with a doctor who told me um, that she she said, well, you know, the thing is, um, I, I, I'm the best social worker and the best doctor and the best nurse and the best chaplain. I just can't, I don't have time to do all of those things. And I was like, oh my goodness, I am not taking this job. You know, <laughs> So she was outside of her scope. She had not been trained as a social worker. So thinking that she had somehow earned that um, role of social worker when she hadn't was a misuse of power or it could lead to a misuse of power. And then um, I put in here um, people who are no longer in a certain role, but keep trying to influence from underneath. Um, and this can cause a lot of harm. And I wanted to put that flag in in particular. I think it's a temptation. You know, when I um, is... As Nora mentioned, I was the president of the Soto Zen Buddhist Association for a few years. And stepping out of a leadership role is hard because you have a good feeling that, you know, you know what needs to be done. <laughs> so um, there's a temptation to, you know, oh, I don't like that decision they made. I'm going to call up all my friends and lobby for a change. And this gets gets. This gets into leading from underneath in a way that subverts the role of the new person. So that's also a misuse of power. And then um, an underuse of power. And I'll conclude with this. So when we're in the, the um, up power position and we don't take the extra bonus of the 50%, then that's an underuse of our role power. You know, we've earned that role power. We've earned the right to be called a professor or a teacher or a police officer. So when we start to think of ourselves as a victim or we see, see ourselves as smaller than we are, that's an underuse of our power. Um, blaming others is not taking responsibility for the power that we have. Another way is asking too much of people. 
especially when they're not ready. And this is something leaders can get into is really getting out too far ahead of the group. So we have to just, you know, put in some checks and balances, like feedback, um, you know, balances for accountability to prevent that from happening. Sometimes it just happens without us noticing it. As soon as we go into a power position, our, our actual brain chemistry starts to change and we notice less and less the harm that we cause, the more we get sort of inflated with our power. <laughs> Um, treating those in down power positions as if they have equal power, as if we're all friends, you know, I think of, um, it's a horrifying story, but I'll just share it. Um, maybe I won't actually, but, but just, you know, like when you're at the party, um, with, with your students, um, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing, um, playing drinking games with them. I'll just say that much. We're not, we're not all friends. You know, they still have to come back to class and get graded by you later. I'm not giving guidance or not leading when needed is an underuse of role power and therefore a misuse of power and not taking your place. So I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. I don't know why my mouse is frozen. Oh, there, okay. And I'll tell a story to conclude that. So um, this story had a profound effect on me. I was, um, as mentioned, I'm a, a Soto Zen Buddhist priest. And our tradition comes out of Japan. Therefore, it's very hierarchical. And that's just the way we got it. And, you know, we're still pretty new here in America. So I went to a ceremony and it was a pretty, it was a very big ceremony. And usually what happens is the senior monks and nuns tend to come earlier because they know the score. You know, they know that getting in place early helps everybody to calm down. So they did. So people came earlier. And then the younger monks or the newly ordained, they're not necessarily younger in age, but the newly ordained uh, monks, you know, they're still learning how to put on their robes and they're, they have all these jobs to do. So they're always running late. So a senior monk comes in and in um, Zen Buddhism, the, the highest ranking person should stand at the front of the room nearest to the Buddha. So um, a senior monk comes in and he stands one, two, three chairs down from the Buddha. And he stands, you know, just very serene. And time goes on and time goes on and more people filter in. And of course, everyone files into place after him. And what happens? We run out of seats. <laughs> so, and the last people coming in are like, oh, no, I'm late. I, can't, I don't have anywhere to sit. What am I going to do? And the tension in the room really rises. And so at that point, I was the um, I was coordinating the ceremony. So I was in a, a lower role but I was making th sure things went smoothly. So I went over to him and I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I don't want to disturb you, but would you mind moving up to your place? And he was like, oh no, I'm fine. And I was like, oh, you know, you might be fine, but, but they are not fine. <laughs> and so then he finally, you know, he came out of his serene place and he looked around and he was like, oh, okay. And he moved up. And as soon as he got into his place, the whole room quieted down. We needed him to do that so that we could settle. So that's what I wanted to conclude with. Um, again, a very complex topic in a very distilled form. <laughs> so I welcome your questions, your conversation, um, you know, any insights you might've had through the couple of exercises that we did and I will um, stop talking. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was really fascinating. And I think a really great and powerful way to end our colloquium series. And so I just want to encourage folks to either um, put your questions into the chat box, but even better to you know, raise your hand so we can hear your voices and um, hear your questions. Um, 
I'll, as people are collecting their their thoughts, I might start with a question, but also I'll comment on that exercise you had us do. And you know, when you asked or when you said like it's okay to have power, I, I felt that sort of more in my gut, almost in a nervous sort of sensation. And then you know, when you said I want to use my power wisely, it sort of moved up more into the my heart, I would say, which was sort of an it was interesting for me to, to sort of feel that. And it leads my question to you in terms of, could you talk about the distinction or the convergence maybe between power and influence? I'm curious sort of, you know, what the difference there is. And, and particularly, as I think about it, between that sort of earned power and status power and how those things all sort of work together. Yeah, thank you so much. That's a really important distinction. So um, again, power is the ability to have an influence. So if we have earned power, you know, if you have gone to university for many, many years and and defended your dissertation and earned the right to be called a doctorate, of course you want to use your power, but you want to use it in a way that's beneficial. So that's um that's the connection between power and influence. Can I, can I use my power in a way that helps and doesn't harm? And then you talked about status power. Um, status power is interesting because we haven't earned it, but we still get that bonus of 50% responsibility. So I think a lot about... Um, so my husband is a leader in an organization that has a lot of women. And I remember one time he said something that, you know, somebody heard as sexist. And he was very confident that his intention wasn't sexist. And I, I live with him. I know he's he's one of the least sexist men I know. But the thing is, I asked him to... Um, I was like, you know, um, sweetie, you just have to eat it, you know, because you're a man. And sometimes it's not fair, but you have that extra power that the women don't have. So just listen to them. And he did. He, he took a step back and he went into a more receptive place and allowed them time to trust him more. And their relationship shifted. So um, status power, we have not earned it but we still have a responsibility to use it well. So sometimes that can be the opposite. You're like, I didn't ask for this. You know, I don't want this, but it really doesn't matter. You know, I didn't ask to be white and I don't want to be a racist, but this is what I have. This is what I have to work with in this life. I'm white and, and I have racism, you know, as a virus that's, you know, contagious in my body. So I have to work with that. So I hope that gets to your question. I see a few in the chat as well. So, yeah, so let me um, maybe read out some of those. So, so Jennifer was asking or wondering if this framework can be expanded to organizations as a whole and how does an organization use their power appropriately when you have many individuals with varying degrees of power and potentially differing priorities and ideas for the organization. Yeah. The same principles apply and an organization can only follow its leader. So the leader really has to model these principles in order to create the kind of culture that is open to this. And the ways that leaders can model it, I just told you a couple of the learning segments of the, it's usually, you know, the introduction is a two-day workshop, but ways that leaders can model this kind of behavior is um, being open and receptive to feedback um, and even, you know, intentionally introducing feedback loops. Um, accountability. How am I going to be held accountable? You know, maybe financial transparency, um, being open to questions, being receptive to what people have to say. So there are a lot of ways leaders can model this. And when I took the, these um, workshop from Dr. Barstow, I watched her do it in real time. You know, one time she said something that somebody found a little bit off. And so she, we came back to the room and she was about to teach us the section on 
on making repairs and feedback. And she, she just did it rather than thinking about it. She said, you know, somebody shared with me that what I said was inappropriate and I'd like to respond to that. What I said was inappropriate and I'd like to apologize. I'm sorry. And she just in real time did it. So the more we can be comfortable with this, the more we can make our organizations like this. Because yeah, an organization also um, can use and misuse power. So just like a little sampling of what I want to say. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to combine these next two because I think I think they're related. But um, so Lori, you know, said very interesting presentation and it reminds me of some of the corporate leadership lectures I have attended the different roles and powers that people have and how leaders, people in the up power, often stop listening to the personal and role powers of others in the down power position. Um, and then Tara was asking if you could talk about using power to invite others to the conversation. Yeah. So what I'll say about this is these are skills that we can learn. It can be learned. We don't have to, you know, um, it can be a danger of a leader, like I said, you know, when I talked about boundaries and roles, to think that just because a leader, we know everything. We have to be open to learning and growing. So if we're in a leadership role, then um, we have to learn how to address conflict. We have to. We re it's going to come up. And the way that we address the conflict is... Um, Others are going to watch us when we do it. So better to learn it in advance because it's going to happen. And if we do it well, then people will learn from that. So um, let me just re-look at the question a little bit. Yeah, leaders can often stop listening. And like I said, there's there are actual chemical changes in our brain. And at the same time, we can become really... Um, puffed up by our own power so that we think that we have all the answers. And when this happens, either we can intentionally dial it back and come back into humility, or I, I'd argue that life will help us dial it back. <laughs> and, and I would rather do it intentionally, you know, than, than have, you know, get fired from my job for being a jerk to people. So, um, I guess like what I would like to leave this is with is that we can learn it. I, I don't have time to teach those skills here. They're later parts of the learning segment, how to have difficult conversations, how to make repair, um, how to, when you're in the down power position, how to let the up power person know that what they've done is not okay. And the opposite of that. Okay. Great. So Jason is asking, how do you think about challenging power differentials? Your example of approaching the senior priest makes me think about skillful ways to do this, but it still seems risky and difficult. Are there interactions drawing upon our personal power to overcome a status differential? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and I think this is up for all of us so much. So, you know, just to revisit, we don't get a pass when we're in the down power position. We still have 100% responsibility. So how do we do that skillfully? Um, it's so much easier when the person in the up power position has good skills and are listening and is in a role power position rather than a status power position. Um, and there are other times it's just really tricky. So... You know, we don't we don't get to have a magic wand in life. So first, we we should assess the situation. I guess I'm I'm thinking a lot about um, the Southern Poverty Law Center has guidelines for bystander interventions. And in my imagination, you know, I when I thought I was going to be a good bystander, you know, and things really started to heat up on the New York subways. I'm going to jump in there and I'm going to be that person that puts my body in between the two people in conflict. Um, but then when I learned a, a few more skills, I learned that actually the first thing that's most helpful is to create a distraction. Drop your coffee, make a loud noise, 
get the attention off of them. You know, you're caught, you can cause more harm through your, your ego approach to <laughs> interventions. Um, so if we're in a down power position and we want to interrupt something that's going on, rather than getting fixated on a narrow view of I'm right and you're wrong and these are the ways you're going to change, we can, I want to say the word sneaky, but I'll say the word creative. We have to be creative. You know, we have to be in relationship. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember a, a priest who's a friend of mine telling me a story about being in Japan. He was a young American man. And in our culture, you know, we often give up our seat on a train or a bus to an older person. And he did that just very naturally. He offered a seat to an old man. And the old man started to cry. And he said, my entire life, I have hated Americans. And you just changed it. So, you know, he wasn't going straight, but he was creating uh, creating the kind of world he wanted to be in by being kind and coming, again, from coming from heart. So we've got a question from Maud, and, and Maud, I might ask you to um, come online if I don't um, get the question, but um, she's asking the use of power for good and avoiding harm obviously is okay, but both good and harm are very different for different people, maybe especially regarding non-humans. We mm. might have some people or living organisms, might harm some people or living organisms while helping others. How should power be used if we have some, some form of responsibility? Yeah, I, the potential for harm is always here. So first we start by, you know, just our intention and orienting ourselves towards good and benefit. And again, these are things we can learn. They don't necessarily come automatically to us, but we can learn skills for how to orient ourselves towards non-harm. And one of the ways we can do this is, um, you know, ethics is really diverse and complex, but Ethics is often centered around shared agreements for how we want to be together. Um, so, you know, we were looking at this a lot in, in my hospital on the ethics committee and trying to look at triage during the COVID pandemic. And if you really start thinking about it, your brain can spin out of control. And then you get into a place where you can't help anybody. Because, you know, what do you do if a person comes and then that person, you know, okay, well, they're 50 years old, they're morbidly obese, and, um, you know, maybe they have some comorbidities. Um, and so you're like, well, those are, that's not, that person probably is not going to be okay, but they're 50 and, you know, like, and oh yeah, and they're African-American. So should we bump them up because of societal bias or bump them down because of a less likelihood they'll be okay. You know, it, your brain can start to do that. But what we did in medical ethics is create some agreed upon standards. And that I think any organization can do that. But those standards have to come from a place of non-harming first. And then, and then we have to hold each other to them once we've agreed upon them. Uh, Nora, I see your hand raised, so uh, go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Um, yes, so Tenku, I was wondering if we could kind of expand a little bit on Maud's question, because a lot of folks in the room, um, you know, a lot of your examples have to do with face-to-face -face interactions. Um, and uh, a lot of folks in the room uh, are either working on genetically modified insects or pests, I'm looking at Nicole Gutzman here, um, or are working in a way where they're imagining they could contribute to a better world. And a lot of that distribution of the whatever they're making or their action could be very far away where they won't see the effect. So I'm wondering how the right use of power framework can inform the way people think about their actions now 
when the future is unknown and we may never really know our effects given how they might take place far away. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, same principles, but you know, a different situation. Start with ourselves, really knowing ourselves. And the more we really know ourselves, the more we orient our own intentions toward non-harming. So we start there. And then we do things in the world. Again, we have our um, systems of accountability. We have feedback coming and going. You know, I've tried this particular modification for this country. Am I listening to the feedback? Is that feedback coming in? And how am I using that feedback? You know, it's not just about even hearing it or getting a piece of paper, but we have to take in the feedback and use it. Um, so, and we can't be open to feedback if we don't have a sense of, you know, knowing ourselves and humility. So operating within the um, agreed upon shared values and they, they, you know, again, they can be simply starting from, I want to cause benefit and don't cause harm. And then I'll say, you know, inevitably we're going to cause harm. This is about being a human being. So then what do we do when we learn that we cause harm? Do we blame other people or do we feel like, you know, a jerk and shut down or do we learn to stay open? And I, this is a skill we can learn and it can be applied organizationally as well. Yeah, I'm so frustrated so many times by these, these giant organizations who very clearly cause harm, but then they talk to their lawyers and they're like, whatever you do, don't apologize. You know, apologizing actually makes people feel better. So it's a way of staying in relationship with others. So even if that other is another country far away, then if we're in a relationship, then we're taking in feedback, we're using it constructively. And when we mess up, we're acknowledging it, we're learning, we're growing, and then we're starting again and keeping on going. So just a fingernail of <laughs> things we could try, but yeah. So we still have a couple of minutes left, uh, two minutes. If people have any other final questions or comments, please add them to the, ch the chat box or raise your hand. Um, to fill the time, I might, I don't know how to frame this question, but um, you know, a lot of people in our group here are working to kind of build on Nora's comment and question, are, are building technologies or building new sciences. And so I was curious on, on how this type of power, can it transfer to the science or technology itself? Um, and, and then what is the responsibility then of the person who maybe created that once that technology or science is sort of out of their hands? Yeah, I mean, okay, think of it. Um, just United States is a fairly wealthy country. It's, a, it's not fairly, it's an extremely wealthy country. So when a wealthy country is working for a country that does not have money, there's a power differential. And I think we saw this, maybe it was yesterday, I was noticing um, there was a country, I think it was Paraguay, that, that doesn't have the vaccine. And then China came in and offered them the vaccine and it caused them to change their political views towards Taiwan. So if we're doing this in terms of um, how we use science, first be uh, have an understanding that a country that has a lot of resources and financial resources especially is in the up power position. So it might be hard for another country to say no or to give you um, valuable feedback or to say this didn't go well. They might even try to hide the thing that caused harm because they don't feel empowered. So it's really up to the country or the scientist or wherever with, with the more power to stay attuned to that and to have a sense of humility. You know, we have all these layers of culture as well. And the more we can be culturally humble, 
the better we can communicate and the better world we can make this. And, you know, these are um, maybe as a final um, statement, I'll say we, if nothing else, this pandemic has taught us how interconnected we are. And I know that you as scientists know this, the things that we do, even if it feels very far away in another country have an effect everywhere. So we really have to not only try our best and, and put things out there, but be receptive to how that's going and to how, um, how we can, you know, make the world better, not just by uh, telling people what to do, but being in relationship with others. And that, that can be applied to countries, to other researchers, to, um, to other scientists. And I think um, organizationally, we also can be, become more aware of the power that we have and then use it well. You know, saying that um, Paraguay and China have the same amount of power as a country is, is not accurate. So therefore, the country in the, the higher power position really needs to be more oriented towards non-harming. So it's a very complex topic. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for, for joining us. We're at the top of the hour. Um, Nora, I didn't. I want to give you an opportunity if you wanted to to say anything else. But I just want to, on behalf of the GES Center, to thank you um, for joining us today and sharing your your knowledge with us. Um, I think it was a, like I said before, a perfect way to end our, our colloquium series um, to discuss these topics. So, so thank you very much. Thank you.